3: The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian.
0: Oh, what a day. What a day to be alive. Da, 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 da. They wouldn't Uh. play Dirty Water for me today. I don't know if Ben (laughs) Wasoric and our producers are Dodgers fans. They would not play Dirty (laughs) Water for me. Today, it is Monday, October 29th. 2018 episode 177 of the Anakin Florian podcast and the Boston Red Sox are the World Series champions flow for the fourth time in 15 years. Pretty incredible. You took your daughter who is eight months old to the 18 inning game three at Dodger (laughs) Stadium. That's a memory she'll have for life, kid. Pretty cool sort of backdrop to this World Series win for you, I would think. For sure, man. It
4: was unbelievable. Uh, first of all, the Dodgers fans were awesome. Uh, when we went to take a picture with my daughter, they were all trying to get her to smile in the background and they were all into it. That's uh, nice. So That's they nice. were really friendly. Actually, a ton of uh, Red Sox fans there. So a bunch of people from Boston that uh, I was talking to, which was really cool. And yeah, I guess I was kind of bad luck because that was the only game that they lost. Um, ended up right. going 18 innings, as you said. We Right. We barely made half. I think actually we left maybe a little bit before the ninth inning. So right before the ninth inning started, we took off uh, too, a little too late for the baby. But what an experience, man. Um, so cool. And just to be a part of that, I promised myself if the Dodgers took on the Red Sox in the World Series, I had to get a ticket. And um,
0: I was there with the family, and uh, we had a blast. Huge Boston presence there in Los Angeles. Yeah. Seems like most of the smart Bostonians – have moved to California because they just don't <laughs> want to deal with the cold anymore, you know. <laughs> with respect uh, to Dr. Florey and moving to New Hampshire and everywhere right. else. I know, Why well, go cold, cold West. Come on. You know? I mean, but yeah. just an incredible thing. And I think for a lot of our international listeners who don't really know anything about Major League Baseball, what this team was able to do in winning 119 games overall against 57 losses and to beat the 100-win New York Yankees and only lose one game in the playoffs, only lost once to the defending World Series champion Houston Astros, And, of course, they beat the Dodgers in five games. I am going to New York City this week for UFC 230. I'm not going to be super nice about it. I'm wearing my Red Sox hat everywhere (laughs) I go. And, you know, a lot of people saying to me this morning on social media, how about some humility, right? I'm just – I'm calling it like I see it, Ken Flo. We were a starved fan base for a long time. When you and I were growing up as kids, the teams were not great. And since February 3rd, 2002, there have been 11 championships – in Boston, Massachusetts, there will be a championship parade this week for the 11th time since 2002. And so I just feel like if any other city is trying to lay claim to to city of champions or title town, I mean, put it, put it on paper, you know, I'll hang up and fucking listen. But right now that distinction goes to Boston, Massachusetts. And for my mom and everyone on down, we're pretty excited here on Monday. And I'm not afraid to talk about it, Ken. Uh,
4: uh, neither am I. Hey, listen, we, we were cursed until about 2004 was the first sure. time that we won in a long, long time. So uh, I think we deserved it. I think we deserve to brag a little bit about being the world champs. And, uh, no, it, it's an amazing accomplishment, man. It's been an amazing, uh, what, decade or more uh, oh. in, in Boston sports and uh it's cool to be a part of it because we suffered many years as kids, we did. man. We did. I mean, Grogan and Eason being the Patriots oh. quarterbacks, uh-huh. they were just awful uh, year after year. And, you know, they lost to the Bears and the uh, Super yeah, in the Bowl 80s. in 86, I think. But anyways, uh, now it's it's good times for, for Boston fans. The Bruins have won. Uh, I got to be a part of that. I just need to go to That's a right. Super Bowl at this point and uh, a Celtics game. I need to go to uh, – yeah.
0: Celtics NBA Finals game. The Celtics go against, against LA. the Lakers. Yeah, yep.
4: that would be tremendous. And a Super Bowl. Yes.
0: Well, tremendous. You know, we didn't play any innings, me and Ken Flo. So you don't need to congratulate us. But we're pretty <laughs> excited and wanted to share some of that enthusiasm with you off the top today. It's been an incredible run. And thankfully, the best team in baseball was able to finish the job. But a busy week in MMA. We'll, we'll talk to a couple UFC veterans coming up. Dean Thomas. Uh, who has a lot of irons in the fire, and Frank Trigg, UFC veteran-turned-MMA referee, and a good one. So we'll get to those guys later. Ray Longo coming up in about five minutes. But the major MMA news over the weekend. Ben Askren is coming to the UFC. Demetrius Johnson headed to 1FC. Just an amazing resolution to this story and for two fighters who are good men, who are family men, who deserve to be happy. And it seems, Kenny, as though... Agent Kawa, who I consider a friend, he lives down here in South Florida, seems like he was instrumental in sort of getting the organizations together to get to this point. Both guys are going to sign new deals with their promoters, so you can call it a trade, call it sort of releases on both sides, however you want to put it. Askren is a UFC fighter, DJ's headed out, and I'm excited.
4: That's right. And it seems like all the fighters are happy. And that's the most important thing. You know, uh, Malky kind of has this hate, uh, love hate relationship in the mixed martial arts community. But the guy really is amazing at what he does. Getting the deals done uh, and making his fighters happy um, is what he does best. Um, we have one of the best welterweights in the world. Ben Askren is a tremendous wrestler, a former Olympian. Um, A guy who can make even very good fighters look silly and look amateurish. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does against some of the best welterweights in the world. And if we want to jump right into it... You know, why not give him a super fight uh, against the greatest welterweight of all time, George St. Pierre? I I think that one super fight that George St. Pierre might be interested in, I think that and Habib to see who truly is the best wrestler um, and if if his skills would hold up uh, against a guy like Ben Askren. And for Demetrius Johnson, you know, it is very sad to see him go. Uh, obviously, one of the greatest fighters that I've ever seen compete. The guy yeah. was a true martial artist, but at the end of the day, he really beat every single person in his division, uh, wiped out the whole division. That, that fight against Henry Cejudo, that second match, while it was close, really could have gone either way. Um, so um, an amazing career for him. Uh, I wish him the best, and uh, but at the same time, it is sad to see
0: him go. But we, we do have a great fighter in Ben Askren. And I'll get to some comments of mine on Demetrius Johnson in a second, but I want to start with Ben Askren because, as Kenny knows, I've sort of been a a long-time unabashed supporter of this guy. If you read my chats at ESPN.com, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, I I appreciate that, Ken. but but he was the guy who – we talked about the most right and where he was going to go. And obviously he was very active back in those days, not so much in the middle of his career. Then he did fight a lot late 2017. Mm -hmm. But Kenny, do you remember when, when, when you and I were calling fights, we would have these meetings with the matchmakers, Joe Silva and Sean Shelby. And, to, to grind Joe a little bit, you may recall, I showed up to one of those matchmaker meetings wearing a funky Ben Askren t-shirt. Yes. And <laughs> Joe was not too happy at the time and I think he failed to see the amusement in that t-shirt, but yep. I was sort of trying to promote his candidacy his UFC candidacy candidacy back then because I just think he brings a lot to the table in his ability to build fights and then I think his strength and his style to win fights and be a real problem to a lot of strikers and otherwise in this division I just think he brings a whole lot to the table and to your point whether it's George St. Pierre or somebody in that top 10 at 170 pounds I don't think it's going to be going to be an immediate championship opportunity but this is a in my mind, a huge injection into this already loaded UFC welterweight division.
4: Without a doubt. And I agree with you. I think this guy's skills on the mic are as impressive as his skills in the cage. And, um, you know, he knows how to build up a fight. He knows how to call out fighters. He's already doing that with all the big names at welterweight already. So um, I think he's giving himself a bunch of options in that welterweight division. Um, And, you know, I think this is a guy that should have been fighting in the UFC all along. However, from him being outside of the UFC and fighting in 1FC and fighting uh, outside of the organization, I think he has built up uh, a tremendous amount of experience now. So now when he does go against the best in the welterweight division, he'll be that much uh, more prepared uh, to beat those guys. I mean, a lot of options, a lot of interesting things happening right now in the MMA space. And again, you know, with this happening, that means we could see other trades in, in the future. That was the first time we had ever seen that perhaps we see that again uh in the near future
0: yeah it seemed as though the circumstances just aligned perfectly here just so weird to see Demetrius Johnson thanking Ben Askren for his role in all of this and that does bring us to Demetrius Johnson I think you touched on the legacy a little bit you talked about Ben Askren's ability and willingness to sell a fight DJ doesn't really want to have to do that he doesn't Mm want to play promoter he doesn't want to have to Engage on social media, back and forth, picking and fights. And of course, as the guy who successfully defended the UFC Flyweight Championship a record 11 times, yeah. he never was the guy who had to go down that road. But a big part of the appeal, if you take DJ at his words recently, is just that he can get back to just sort of being a true martial artist and be re- appreciated for that. And right. I think at least as far as DJ is concerned, 1FC seems to be a really good fit for him on a personal and professional level.
4: Listen, this is a guy who really um, wanted to be as authentic as possible in, in how he approached the sport, and I think he's done that. Um, he's not here to try to hype up fights and do all that other stuff. He's just not interested. He, he wants to get paid for what he does, as he should. Um, I think he was getting paid very well in the UFC. I'm sure he's going to get paid very well in one FC as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he just wants to go out there and fight the best, um, just demonstrate his craft for, for the world to see, Um, to inspire people um, and just continue living the life of a martial artist keep getting uh, keep getting better keep training um, keep showing the world how, how damn good he is
0: says he still feels like he's relatively young in his career. He wanted to try something different. The travel and the fighting in Asia seems to have a lot of appeal for Demetrius Johnson. None of us on the UFC side were surprised to see this happen. We had heard the rumblings about Demetrius Johnson to 1FC. We knew of Askren's interest to come to the UFC to try to prove himself. I didn't think those stories would align and that, that was sort of my reaction on social media. But we had heard of Kenny, these these one FC rumblings when it came to Demetrius yeah. Johnson. So I don't know that anybody was caught off guard as far as his body of work and his future, certainly in the UFC Hall of Fame. Eleven successful title defenses at one hundred and twenty five pounds. I think that's a record that will withstand the test of time. You know, it's amazing when you look at every division on paper. And you try to forecast a champion right now making that type of run. And I think Robert Whitaker was the first name that sort of came off the page to me because it's not a struggle to make the weight. I don't ever expect to see him move up to light heavyweight. So the fact that Whitaker as a young man has found his division encourages me that he can maybe defend this thing successively for a long time. But Ken Flo, 11 successful title defenses. I think any legacy is going to have a hard time in any division you know, being on par with what Demetrius Johnson accomplished. And for me, it's a little bit too bad that as he exits, there isn't more of that talk and, you know, less of, of some of the stuff that's out there right
4: now. You know, statistics don't always indicate <clears throat> what is actually going on, right? But for in this case, the information is so <laughs> overwhelming, uh, both on paper and from what the eyes can see, right? As far as the skill that he demonstrated inside the octagon, he was just at a different level. The greats in any sport are the guys that not only beat everybody, right? But are the guys that actually elevate the sport as a whole. Demetrius Johnson has shown what is possible inside the octagon. What it's yeah. what is possible uh, as far as being such a not only a complete mixed martial artist, but dangerous in all facets of the game. If you're looking to be a mixed martial artist, study Demetrius Johnson. That's the guy you should be looking at, the way that he blends everything together. Find it for your style, of course, but uh, the way that Demetrius w- was able to go out there and compete and be dangerous uh, in every single range of combat is, is something I'm not sure we're going to see for a very long time. I think we're still a little bit a ways away. Um, guys are getting close, but not quite like Demetrius Johnson. Um On the other side of things, John, I'm a little concerned. Are you concerned with with what might happen to the 125-pound division now uh, that Demetrius Johnson is gone? Is is that a threat now to to the guys in that division? Do you think
0: that's going to stick around? I think that it it takes some time to sort of repurpose some of those fighters and then maybe cut some others. So Mm -hmm. I think for those who are maybe excited at the possibility of that division going away, I think it's ambitious to think it's going to happen anytime soon. Mm -hmm. But certainly – You look at everything on paper and you look at the current champion, Henry Cejudo, and his aspirations to not just move up and challenge TJ Dillashaw for the 135-pound title, but His aspirations to never weigh 125 pounds again right like that's a part of it too is that a lot of these guys who do cut to 25 um they do so and it's very difficult for them including Mm -hmm. the current resident champion so i think those are all angles to it but they've worked hard to sort of establish this division and you've seen guys like dustin ortiz and others sort of come out and say hey hang on a second like Mm -hmm. we got a body of work too and and some of us are on runs here i'd like to see them keep it i don't know if that's the minority opinion i still think there are enough guys in top 10 um certainly you can understand why it's a talking point given what Cejudo has said and now given what DJ has done
4: yeah and as far as numbers right as far as numbers for that division I think it's the smallest division uh that we have besides maybe some of the women's divisions like the 125 pound division for example but um we we just don't have a lot of them so yeah I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that division um I know there's been rumblings about maybe getting that division out of there um there's some amazing fighters there. I enjoy watching that division, but we'll see what happens.
0: All right. Well, it is inarguable that Demetrius Johnson will go down as one of the greatest UFC champions of all time, and if you don't want to consider him the class of the pound for pound discussion, that is fine, but look at the body of work, look at the resume, and um we wish Demetrius Johnson all the best as he moves forward we wish Ray Longo all the best this weekend no fancy drop this week because I want to make sure that the audio issues are okay we can't see you right now Ray but they tell me you are live they say you look great I'll take them at their word <laughs> I don't believe how's it. your Monday
5: well, I mean this is unbelievable man no video man I, I did my hair just for you today John Just <laughs> yes, for you but I uh, no, just, uh, just, just got done with embedded Whiteman looks phenomenal Great workout. Um, I just, I feel really good about this fight. Uh, it's it's going to be a great night, I think. And uh, he just really just, he just crushed the workout. And I'm really happy. His weight's on point and uh, just ready to go. You know, we got the steamroller and we got Wideman. So we got a big night for the gym. Uh, that's it, man. Let's do it.
0: So in terms of Chris Weidman and his health, obviously there was a thumb surgery and a second procedure. We joked on this show that his hand looked like Frankenstein. That's behind him. He hasn't competed since last July, that huge finish of Kelvin Gastelum. I guess you got to be excited that we're sitting here five days out and you have him close to that finish line.
5: No question about it. And I pulled him back a little bit, too, because I just didn't want to, you know, even risk the injuries. But uh, he looks great, and that – as of right now, is not a problem, and I don't expect it to be a problem unless he did something stupid between now and the fight time, but that's not going to happen. He's, he's healthy. Uh, his weight, like I said, is on point. He's ready to go. His mind's in the right spot. Um, that's it. He just saw his best friend getting a slobber knocker. I think that jazzed him up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, but that's all good, man.
4: Hey, Ray, so what are the challenges for a guy like Jacare Souza, And and what are the challenges of, or I guess there's advantages, of course, of fighting at home, but um, how do you get your fighter ready to take on a guy like Jacare Souza in New York?
5: You know, look, I think Jacare, look, he wants to get the fight to the ground. You know, he does, you know, look, he's an explosive guy. You know, I think he's getting a little older, but he's still got some power. I think it's, you know, a little telegraphical when you look at it. Uh, obviously, he's no joke on the floor, but I think Chris is—he's uh, not the easiest guy to take down. I think his stand-up looks great. Um, yeah, I don't think it was—I think it was. I'm really happy. I'm happy with the replacement.
4: And, and are there any challenges or anything that you need to get him focused for, for fighting at home?
5: No, I think we did good this time. Yeah. I don't I don't. I don't feel that. You know what I mean? There's no. Not a lot of people. You know, asking for tickets and that stuff. Everybody, I think, knows the routine he's fought in New York so yeah. many times now. So that looks like it's squared away. He, he's in a really good spot. So um, awesome. I can't speak for him, but, um, you know, I think it, it's pretty good.
0: So does your wife ever say to you, like, look, Ray, it's a big pay-per-view, Wadman's fighting, like maybe get your hair cut like during fight week instead of three <laughs> weeks out. Like what, what, what package uh, are you bringing to the table I in that to... corner uh, yeah, on Saturday no,
5: night? She, of course – says that, but uh, I have to find a way to get my hair cut this week. It's it's actually out of control, so huh. that, that's a, that's actually a priority. It shouldn't be, but uh, I'm going to have to call the stylist then. I think.
0: But, well, someone's yeah, got to yeah. be looking out for that part of things. Like, my uh, wife's looking at me. She's like, do you want to get your nose waxed maybe before you go on TV in front of millions of people? And <laughs> So yesterday, there I was at fucking European Wax Center having <laughs> hey, waxed without ah. of- <laughs> well, that's
5: what That's what uh, wives are for. Hold on one second.
0: Oh, John three. Vellante's in the building.
5: I mean, I can't believe you don't have any video.
0: Oh, well, Can it, I can't guy? see Come John. On, but... Look at
5: this guy. This is a true warrior. Look at this. Look at Uchino. No
2: hey, oh, hey. Hey.
0: Hey. hey <laughs> it, 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 nice to see a split decision go your way, my friend. Congratulations. Uh,
3: they're it could be
2: four in a row.
5: So it could be four wins in a row. It could be four losses. Right. It's so embarrassing. But, but the guy, look, the purpose of this is this is a trooper. That guy just went to war for three He's rounds. He's a we beast. Come Monday morning. Comes why, in to help his friend. Look at that's guy amazing. He's asking me about, you know, taking punches. And, yeah. Hey, you going to be okay to, like, get hit in the face a little bit? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So,
5: it's <laughs> not going to be fun this week. I already know. But Saturday will be good. I mean, well, on. dude, I,
0: I'm happy it's for easy, you, man.
5: I think my hairstylist is here. Can you fix that, please? does <laughs> yeah. it look. Uh, it looks Are a you little cutting better. up before the fight or what? <laughs> I have to cut Look, Jeez. John just
0: went over there. See, man, I guess my hair's a big right, topic. Guys look then. good. Later, boys. <laughs> See you, a lot, man. What a yeah, good guy. of course it's a big what talking a, point, nice you know? Guy. I mean, we don't need you looking sloppy in the corner. I love how guys say, oh, I got to find time to get my hair cut. You know, <laughs> Daniel Cormier will send a barber to your hotel room if that's what you want. We'll get your hair cut.
5: Yeah, okay. I, I might take you up on that.
0: All right, a couple well, other things my, before I my, let you go.
5: I think my haircut's hair a little different than his though. I don't think <laughs> Yeah, to, no, that's true. That's true. That You're is. not
0: looking for the uh <laughs> the high and tight skin fade. I understand uh, it. All right, a couple other things. Now this is a huge week for Bostonians, obviously, with the Red Sox winning the World Series and and I look forward to touching down in New York to really have it soak I'll in for then. me, yeah. but I want to talk about my favorite New Yorker, Raging Ally Aquinta, because Chris Widman posted a video on his Instagram uh, of Ally Aquinta in the ice bath. This dude is a gangster, right? As uh-huh. Weidman it's put because- it, I mean, this guy hops in an ice bath. He couldn't be less phased. and I know Ken Flo is very good at this, too, right? Just the mental over the physical and all that stuff that's way over my head. But I just want to say respect to Ally Quinta that that just made that ice bath look like absolutely nothing this weekend.
5: Uh, Let me tell you, he could have stayed in there for an hour. Yeah. (laughs) I went over that with him. I'm amazed myself. I really am amazed. But he don't. Look, there's guys that give his shit, and there's guys that don't give his shit, and he just doesn't give his shit. But, what a, <laughs> but I think Khabib called him a gangster for the right reason. Yeah. He's a true gangster. He's coming to he really fight, is. He is. and he, he he ate that ice bath for breakfast, man. That that meant nothing to him. I know the other kid that was with him, Dennis Bazooka, the other fighter we have was, was in total right. amazement. You know, He was struggling, but he's got ice running through his veins, this kid, man. Yeah man he had, a, he had a great workout last night too I'm really psyched for his fight very very, very exciting time for the gym I hope I make it because I'm I'm starting to get a little run down but uh it feels great these guys are just awesome to be around to work with there's never a dull moment it's 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 a great time
0: it's been a busy stretch for you man and we know it's it's not coming to an end anytime soon, but that's obviously a good thing. All right, final thing. Uh, ben Askren, Demetrius Johnson, I'm sure that headline crossed your wake at some point over the last five days. Do you have any reaction when you see one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, a, an 11-time UFC champion like Demetrius Johnson, move on seemingly in the middle of his fighting prime? Uh,
5: You know, look, man, for Demetrius Johnson, obviously you guys were saying that. I mean, Pound for pound, I don't think there's really an argument. He's done it all. I hope the guy financially is successful over there. That would be a great thing for him so he could secure, you know, the future of his family. That That's really all I'm looking at. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's – it. you know, you feel them. You know, he's going to be missed for sure, and he's a great fighter. Hume is a great guy. Uh, I'll tell you, but I am excited about Askren. I think there's a lot of great matchups for him too. So it's – uh I got to see how it plays out. I find uh, I found the news fascinating, but I think it's a win-win for everybody. I think uh, Demetrius financially will do better, and we get to see one of the best wrestlers go up against some other guys that I think he matches up great with. And at least Ben Askren gets to, you know, show what he's got also. I mean, he's been kept in the dark. You know, he wasn't even, you know, in the UFC, not even in the talk, so... Hopefully, he's still young enough to where he could do what he wants to do, and I'd love to see him fight. I'd love to see him in Khabib. I'd love to see him in a lot of people.
0: Yeah. No, it's exciting. 18-0 and 0 with one no contest. I think he's in his mid-30s. All right, my man. We look forward to seeing you later in the week. Give you a $100 bonus if Chris Weidman gets the finish. $100 for the win. $100 if you guys get the finish. So, a couple hundred bucks at stake for you this weekend. I mean, this has just become a crazy trend, Kenny, where we're paying him for his <laughs> fighter's know, yeah. performances.
5: I mean, your your new name should be Monty Hall at this point. Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding me? What is
0: what is going on here? But I feel my kids very think excited. I'm so out of my mind. <laughs> but uh, anyway, hey, all man, the best just, with Chris. We'll see you at the weigh-in on Friday, if not sooner, man.
5: Awesome, man. I'll keep in touch. Thanks, guys.
0: See you right Raymond Peter Longo every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. All right, Frank Trigg scheduled to join us here in a few minutes, Ken Flo. But I want to talk about Anthony Smith because when you talk about Demetrius Johnson being this tremendous showcase for mixed martial arts and high-level mixed martial arts, I think one of your takeaways and mine as well in watching the main event this weekend – was that it was not a great showcase for the UFC's light heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. It was huge for the ascent of Anthony Smith, yes. whom I consider a friend. We have talked about everything that he has done and turning his life and his career around and everything else. Um, big win for Anthony Smith. Had to dig pretty deep to get it. By and large, though, I thought not a great showcase overall for the 205ers.
4: Uh, huge win. Huge win for Anthony. Um, I-, I was really impressed um, with his ability to stay patient, and again, I think he was always fighting at the proper range for the most part in that fight, and that's what concerned me. Even when he was taking some shots um, against Uzdemir, I felt like I, I don't. It's only a matter of time before Anthony Smith uh, takes over. And of course, I picked Uzdemir. I've been terrible on these main event picks, but um, you know, I, Anthony just fought really, really well. Uh, I thought it was a big mistake for Uzdemir to try to take the fight to the ground. He did okay, obviously, in that in that round where he was, you know, turtled up and and trying to get hooks in and all that stuff. But that's not what Uzdemir does, right? And uh, once Anthony was able to get on top, it, it was pretty much all over. You see, you saw it um, really leave uh, the hands of Uzdemir at that point. Um, Anthony is tough as nails, man. He even when he was taking some shots, he really never seemed phased. Uh, by anything that Uzdemir threw at him and and we know about Uzdemir's power and those awkward punches, especially when he lands uh, right around the ear, he really wasn't able to do that against Anthony Smith so his chin was holding up he was able to fight back as we knew he would he's a guy who's dealt with a tremendous amount of adversity, uh, both inside and outside of the octagon And um, I I was very impressed uh, with that win, with that said, to your point about the 205 pound division um, you know, it, it... It didn't demonstrate a high level of skill. And these are guys that are uh, ranked very high in that division. Right. Um, I think as far as toughness, 100%. They're as tough as they come. But as far as showing um, high-level martial arts skill, not really making a whole lot of mistakes, yada, 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 they didn't really demonstrate that. Um, And, you know, I I think pretty much in the division at 205 pounds, you have – Daniel Cormier, John Jones, Alexander Gustafson, and then everybody else, if I'm being right. candid.
0: Right. Volkan Uzdemir came in number t- two in the world. Anthony Lionheart Smith was 10, so you're certainly going to get a shuffle there. But for Smith, 3-0 at 205 pounds in the UFC. couple straight bonuses, a couple straight main event wins, Shogun Hua, and now Volkan Uzdemir. And I think, too, that Mark Montoya-led corner for Anthony Smith has really been key. I want to get to Frank Trigg, but Kenny, 30 seconds on just the adjustment of the rear naked choke because you're one of the most prolific rear naked choke guys in UFC history. Somebody in that Anthony Smith corner said right hand behind the head, and he seemed to immediately at that point switch his hands up, and that's when the tap came almost immediately thereafter.
4: 100% because the hand was exposed kind of at the top of the head. It's easy to kind of pull down on that hand. Uh, And and loosen up the choke And that's what Uzdemir was doing And once he was able to hide that hand Behind the head He was able to secure it uh, and, And get the finish for the win
0: Opportunistic submission guy Anthony Smith I thought very diplomatically, asked Dana White and the crew for a title shot, and we'll see what is next for him. Jan Blachowicz streaking as well. He's another name that could right. factor in. But, of course, Jones and Gustafson to settle their business actually two months from today uh, to the day in Las Vegas. But now with us on the guest line, seven-time UFC veteran, now mixed martial arts referee, among other things, actor, commentator. Uh, and UFC Hall of Famer gets added to the bio now, too, as well. The great Frank Trigg is with us. Frank, John, and Kenny here. I know it's overdue to have you on the show, man. How you doing today?
2: I'm good, I'm good, yeah, a little drive time from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, but uh, other than that, I'm
0: good Well, it's a pleasure for us to talk to you, and there are a lot of different things to get to with you but I don't want to bury the lead when it comes to the news of the week in MMA this swap of sorts, Ben Askren and Demetrius Johnson, you've seen it you've been there, you've done that, what is your initial reaction when that comes across your brow, that those two guys are essentially signing new contracts and trading places? Well,
2: it's on one hand, I'm like, wow, it's about time you know, um, that uh, Ben Askren's finally in the UFC. I thought he should have been in the UFC years ago, and then for whatever reason, he's never got in. And I was a little bit surprised that DJ was going over to 1FC, but of course Matt Hughes is his coach, and Matt works for 1FC. It makes sense. But I was a little bit surprised that it seemed like to me the UFC kind of let him go kind of without too much headache, without too much you know, uh, trying to back and forth. But mind you, I'm not in negotiating room. I'm not an attorney. I'm not one of the managers. Mm -hmm. I was very surprised that Pompop, one of the best fighters in the entire world, um, had one of the and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, Kenny and John, that Demetrius had one of the longest uh, defense streaks running um, for defending titles and walks away with only really one loss uh, to Henry Cajito and and then all of a sudden he's owned another organization. I was like, to me it was a little bit surprising for how good a fighter that that, uh, DJ is, but It's business at the end of the day, and I'm actually super excited. I'll be watching 1FC every time that DJ fights, and I'll be watching UFC every time Aspen fights.
0: Yeah, you know, it seemed like he was just sick of the UFC noise in a lot of respects, however, you want to quantify everything that, that goes along with being a UFC fighter, but. As long as DJ's happy, I think it's hard not to be happy for the guy. As far as what you have going on, so if our listeners don't know, you turned pro in 1997. Last pro fight was in 2011. Now you're working as a mixed martial arts referee. You debuted as a UFC ref late December of last year. Was this something that was in the back of your mind for a long time? When did you sort of first think about this as a possible transition for you?
2: Man, this was never in my mind. Not remotely was I thinking about doing this. I was running my mouth, as, as I usually do, which always gets me in trouble. And John McCarthy heard me <laughs> talking about how bad the roughing was and how bad the judging was. And it's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. He's like, oh, you think it's so easy? Why don't you go ahead and take my course? I'm like, man, I'll crush your course. It's stupid. I know everything there is to know about MMA. Like, you're an idiot to ask me to come take this stupid course. Man, I failed so miserably. It was damn near embarrassing how bad I did in that first course. I, I did so bad that my ego got in the way and I had to go back and take it a second time. And I was like, I'm going to pass it this time. I'm going to study and do everything I need to do and, and make this thing happen. And I passed it the second time, sort of. <laughs> Technically, I failed the second course. And then John's like, look, you were close. Come down and hang out at my gym. And We still had the gym up in Valencia. And I was like, come down to my gym once a week. We'll spend two hours going over your judging criteria. We'll spend two hours of you going over your practicals of your reffing. We'll get you up to speed. Six weeks later... He's like, okay, let's have you co do. It's now uh, stopped, but the University of MMA, uh Villa and and uh, and uh, Jay Chan were running it in California. It was an amateur event. He's like, come do this and let's see what happens. I did the amateur event, and he's like, okay, you did good. Now you pass my course. Then from there, I had to do my ten uh, uh, amateur events before I could start making any kind of money. And it was like, to me, I never wanted to do this. I never thought it was going to be it was going to be anything on my radar until so I started doing it and how hard it was. And honestly. Something happened in, internally with me when I was wrestling. I was like, wow, there's a real need for better refs. There's a real need for judges. And if I do it the way I'm supposed to be doing it, I do it the way that John has taught me, the way that Herb Dean has taught me, Mike Beltran, Herzog, and Mike Bell, who are always on my teams. like the way they show me a little different nuances and the things I need to correct. If I do it right, I'll actually be there helping guys save themselves, save them for themselves. Because fighters will fight no matter what. If you give us a shot, you don't stop the fight, we'll continue to fight no matter what's happening to our health or what's happening to our bodies. And there's a point where a ref sometimes has to step in and stop that. And I was like, it's a pretty big honor for me to be able to do that. And so, yeah, it was not on my radar. Didn't want to have anything to do with this. And now I'm <laughs> full into it and all bore.
4: Well, well, Frank, it shows an amazing passion, amazing love uh, of the sport that you're, that you're actually doing that, man. And we do need uh, more great referees like yourself. Um, what were some of the challenges for you as you were coming through that, that referee course?
2: I, so, Beltran would explain it to me, um, and it's the easiest way to explain it. I was thinking like a fighter, not thinking like a referee. Mm. So, I would go, hey, if I'm in this position, if I'm in that spot right now, this guy is in, I'm okay. So, he must be okay. When in reality, he might not be okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that you know, if, if I'm caught in an armbar, I know how to get out of it very easily. So, my arm is not going to This guy may not know that. He may not know how to get out of it. I'm making the assumption that he, he has the same knowledge base that I do. That's not true. The other thing is is that I was so nervous about I read this blurb someplace about Big John McCarthy. Somebody asked him, have you ever been hit in a fight? He's like, well, yeah, if you're if you there with, with two guys throwing punches and kicks at each other and you're the referee, eventually you're going to get hit. I was like, man, I don't want to get knocked out you know, in the middle of one of these fights and oh. reffing. So I gave way too much space. I was too far away from the action. And sometimes it would cause me to be a half a step or a quarter of a step too slow in getting there to stop it. So I had to adjust my range. And the other thing that I, that I did um, that, was, that had to be significantly changed is that if you notice, every referee starts the exact same way. What, whatever the ref is, whoever, you know, we, we make fun of each other. You know, Herzog has his hand clasps and, and his little heel kicks that he does. And then uh, Beltran does his little prayer movement before he looks and yells at each one, of the, each one of the fighters. All of us have our own little way. I didn't have my own little way. I was trying to figure that out. And as a result, I wasn't able to start. Um, the way the fight should be started every single time. It took me a couple, three, four events back in the amateurs to get it, to get my, my rhythm down and my pattern down. Uh,
4: that makes a lot of sense. You know, Frank, you were kind of the, the first crop of the elite uh, American wrestlers that came into mixed martial arts and, and really were pretty much dominating early on. <clears throat> it kind of feels like we're seeing a reemergence of the elite wrestlers. We're seeing, as Ben Askren gets you know, into the UFC, uh, we have Henry Cejudo as champ. Daniel Cormier uh, is a champ. Habib Nurmagomedov, not an American wrestler, but an amazing wrestler, uh, and really dominating with that style. Are we seeing this reemergence now, and, and why do you think that is?
2: Well, a lot of it too has got to do with that people now, especially in America, we're getting more understanding that that wrestling is the one base. If you've got to take your kid and go, hey, eventually he's going to be a professional mixed martial arts fighter. That that's our goal. What do I start him in first? And everyone's like, oh, well, jiu-jitsu and boxing and kickboxing. You have all these, these arguments over why one thing is better than the other. The reality of it is, is that wrestling ends up being the best base to start with because it is, it is absolutely all about control. It's only, that's how you get your points in wrestling is mm-hmm. I control your hips, I put you down flat on the mat, I get my two points. If I control your hips well enough, I turn you back to the mat, I get two more points. If I'm so good at controlling you and dominating you, I get a tuck fall and the match is over without even having to pin you because I'm so much better than you, and I'm controlling you that much. In MMA, one of the things that, that you see, and, and Kenny, you've seen this before a lot, absolutely amazing jiu-jitsu guys, amazing submission practitioners, all of a sudden getting out-positioned by boxers yep. because they don't know how to clamp down and stop them from moving. And then you get some guys, that all of a sudden they learn a little bit of wrestling. It doesn't take a high-level jiu-jitsu black belt to learn much wrestling before you all of a sudden can dominate everybody. And you're like, well, what's the biggest difference? He just learned how to control the hips. And so we're seeing that resurgence because wrestling is becoming the forefront of a lot of guys, a lot of fans, as far as what they should do in MMA. Then on top of it, a lot of these guys are getting to the Worlds, and they're winning the Worlds, they're meddling in the Worlds, and they're like, hey, I did all this work, I made all this time, I worked my butt off for all these years, and yes, the gold medal is absolutely amazing, but I can't, I can't pay off my student debt. I can't provide for my family because there's really not that much money in it when you're, when you're winning Olympic gold medals. If you turn around and you look at what Cormier made when he, when he was on the Olympic team versus what he is making now when he's fighting, you take Henry, the same thing. What he was doing when he was on the, on the Olympic team versus what he's making now, the money's not even close yeah. to the same. There's so much more money now in mixed martial arts no matter what promotion you're fighting for. The numbers are so much higher now that it just makes better sense. These guys aren't going to go coach at their local university and fight. The other 35 guys are all trying to get the same assistant job. They're going to go out and go to the go to their local gym and start fighting. And they're going to make money right away. And, and most of these wrestlers, even at the lowest level, the lowest level wrestler can make some serious money. If you're not making any money and you're making like 1,200 or 12000 a year, all of a sudden you can make $50,000 a year. That's a lot of money yeah. right away without having to be actually that great at boxing or that great at submission. You can actually make a, a good significant pay increase. And I I really believe that's why we've seen a lot of these wrestlers making a jump very quickly.
0: Frank Trigg with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So in terms of your nerves as a fighter versus a referee, I'd imagine there's not necessarily a point of comparison. I'll tell you that in terms of television performance, my nerves were different in 2011 when I called my first UFC fight than they are here seven years later. But I got to think you feel a little something when you're about to referee a a high-profile MMA fight.
2: I'm just trying to take all the butterflies in my stomach and make them come out in one perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I need had, the French I, sorry, accent GFC, with that. To it you. <laughs> the nerves I get, I'm not going to lie to you guys, man. I, I still get sick before the fights. I still have anxiety before I walk in there. I still get really nervous. And I've actually had to talk to, I had to have a long conversation with Mike Beltran and, and separately with, with uh, John McCarthy. Like, is there something wrong with me? Am I just not getting what's happening? And they're like, dude, no, like we get nervous, too. It's not that big of a deal. Like To me, especially when yeah. I'm walking into a high-promotion cage. Like, if I'm walking in, that, that first event, I'm not going to lie, uh, December 9th of last year, it was a Cub Swanson versus uh Brian Ortega event. Right. I was on the other card, obviously, which is where I belong. I went in, and I was and I got really and I was like, wow, I am literally standing back inside this cage again, and I've got to take care of these fighters. I'm there for fighter safety. It was mm-hmm. nerve-wracking, and I really had to calm myself down, do a bunch of breathing exercises and really calm my nerves before I I ask the fighters if they're ready to go and yell and fight. And it's still kind of that same way with me. I still get the same nerves, the same feeling. Because remember, the smells are the same. The energy I, is the same. Yeah. I'm walking around back. It's all the same. But the difference is I'm not about to get punched in the head and I'm wearing all black.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, that is good that you're not going to get punched in the head. but. There are more eyeballs, I would think, on you than the average referee like a Jaron Vallel that, that people could sort of take or leave. I mean, there is sort of a profile that you bring to this. Do you feel like you, you that's part of the anxiety maybe that there is going to be more scrutiny if something, you know, goes awry under Frank Triggs' watchful eye?
2: Absolutely. And, and I'm real lucky with Andy Foster and, and the uh, California State Alert Commission. I've been asked uh, to apply in other states to ref, and I've sat down and talked with Andy. He's like, what do you think? Should I go apply in the of state? He's like, no, don't apply yet. Because what's going to happen is you're going to go over there, and as soon as they can, they're going to have you doing a main event. They're going to have you doing a co-main event. It's going to be a big fight, and you may or may not be ready for it yet. So what we're going to do is we're going to hold you back. We're going to slow you down. We're going to keep you on, on the undercards and keep you backed off a little bit so you get some more experience. Because there's no reason for me to get jumped into a main event, co-main event situation like a John Joe's Gufferson fight when you have Herb Dean, who's got, whatever, 75,000 bouts ref, and I've got about 5,000 bouts ref, it just makes sense to have Herb Dean on there. Just, you know, just, it's just how it goes. But if you're in these other jurisdictions sometimes where you don't have access to Herb Dean, or don't have access to Beltran or Herzog or Mike Bell, you've only got access to me, then all of a sudden I'm in the main event. I was like, well, hold on a second. Should I be doing this title fight right now? Should I be in this space? And it's really about ultimately at the end of the day the refs are there for fighter safety. We have to be sure that we are absolutely prepared for each one of these things that happen, that could happen, potentially happens in a fight, to make sure the fighters don't do more damage to themselves or more damage to their opponent than nece- and absolutely necessary. So they're very good about slowing me down in the state of California, which makes me very happy. But Bellator uses me quite a bit uh, when they come through California, and the UFC uses me every time they come through California. And it won't be very, won't be very long, I believe, before I'll be traveling with these guys. I can see these uh, these uh, uh, these other referees um going to these other jurisdictions and refing because eventually once i get that mark and get to that space you're like okay yeah i can handle anything that comes through then they're definitely gonna start using me all the time just because let's be honest former fighter yeah two time you know fought twice in the title ufc hall of famer now he's doing the telefight for the ufc at the weight class he used to fight at like that's a story that runs with yeah, everybody and my wife and i talk about it a lot like that will be a story that they will try to promote and that will this will happen after this all comes out once we eventually get there. But I'm in no rush to get there. I have a lot of years of wrestling. I can do this for a long time. I don't need to force myself into the space. I'm gonna take my time and make sure when I'm there that everybody gets the best ref. I owe it to the fighters that are in there about to do damage to each other. That they get the best ref to help them win that fight. Or or if they are losing the fight or do have to lose the fight, that they are able to get out of there and be able to go back to the gym within a couple of weeks and start up training again.
0: It's great, man. I love the way you're approaching this whole thing. It's fascinating to hear you talk about it. we got about 30 seconds left. I just want to get your thoughts on when that Hall of Fame call came in and you got word that your fight at UFC 52 between you and Matthews was going into the Hall of Fame. You know, we see in baseball and football the videos of these guys getting those calls. What was it like for you when, when you got word or final word that, that you were going to be a UFC Hall of Famer for life?
2: Well, you know, the good news is when I would take the hardest punch in the face, I'd, I'd poker face it. You wouldn't see any reaction out of me. Or I'd get hit with the hardest shot in the gut and like wanted to crumple my body, but I would give no reactions. When I got the phone call from Matt Evans, it was almost no reaction on the phone. I was like, okay, that, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm available July 13th. Yeah, I can come in and do this thing. What's the dress code? And I was like starting to ask like stupid questions. As <laughs> soon as I hung up the phone, I literally fell down and started weeping. I was like, I can't. I can't believe that they let me in. I can't believe this. I was, it was a dream of mine to be in, but it was so far removed, and there was no way. I was seeing the, the categories come up. I was watching these fights, and, and, these, and these guys were going in. I'm like, I'm just not going to qualify. There's never going to be a way for me to qualify. We got in the UFC Hall of Fame. It's another thing that is outside of my grasp. Then I get the phone call. I was like, it broke me. It, there's no lie. It, it completely broke me. And if you watch my Hall of Fame speech, I completely lose My three-page speech that I had memorized, I lost it. I I got up in front of everybody. I saw Petitas in the front row. Chuck Liddell was in there. Joe Silva. And I lost it. I had no idea what I was about to say. So I had to make everything up as I went along because it was so emotional. It was such a tearjerker for me. I mean, my wife and I had a couple times where we're like, dude, this is real. Like This is a real thing that's happening right now. You're being inducted. I was like, I can't believe it. Like running around that day. It's the day of the induction. I almost, I almost watched it again. I was like going to have to sit in the back with BJ and, and Matt and not go out for a couple minutes because I couldn't pull it together.
0: Man, well, you deserve it, man, and we're happy for all your success. We love seeing you at the UFC events and excited to see you in more jurisdictions as a referee going forward, man. Really a credit to the sport of mixed martial arts and uh, appreciate a few minutes today, my man. Thanks for the time.
2: Thanks, guys, so much. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.
0: There he is, Frank Trigg, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. and I think you're going to see this happen... Increasingly, and I'm hopeful for that. I think Vitor Shallon Ribeiro, Kenny, uh, was a guy who we saw as an MMA referee, sort of one of the first pro fighters that I can recall taking that plunge. I mean, certainly guys like Herb Dean have pro fighting experience, and there are some other guys, but at least the way it is right now, the way the money is constructed, uh, it's hard for guys to make a full-time living doing this, but when you're a guy like Frank Trigg, got your hand in a lot of different jars, you can make it work, I guess.
4: Well, the one thing that really stands out when you talk to Frank, first of all, is... Um, again, that passion, that love for mixed martial arts and um, just his authentic aim in wanting to create the safest environment possible for the fighters that are competing inside the octagon. And again, it has to be a passion project. This isn't something that you do like, hey, I want to make a million dollars, right? Right. Um, You see a guy that genuinely wants to help guys in the sport, a guy who wants to take his experience as a fighter, um, and just basically make sure that the highest level of, of refereeing is going to take place. And you see it. I mean, he wants to take his time before he's able to yeah. do the co-mains and, and, and the main events. And um, it, it's just awesome to hear, man. Those are the kind of guys that we need in this sport.
0: And he's getting to his comfort zone, as you heard him articulate there. But it's funny when you think about the nerves and the similarities between fighting yeah. And refereeing and performing, right? Because I know you and I have said when it comes to TV performance, when you lose those butterflies with finality and you don't ever get them again, you probably want to go sell real estate or do something else, right? Those I think can be a performance enhancer. And you know, when the pay-per-view music starts to hit and you sort of feel that rush going through your body, you know, I, I never said I got into this sort of for the rush part of it, but maybe subconsciously, Kenny, there is an addiction there—that adrenaline rush that that you do get courtesy of those nerves. I don't know.
4: Yeah, two people are about to throw down in, in, in the octagon. They're about yeah, to fight too. at the highest yeah. level. You know what I mean? Of course you should be a little bit nervous. The, the energy in there is unlike any other sport, period. And, and you know, guys like you understand, um, you know, being there uh, and then being inside the octagon, I imagine, it, it's a very similar thing. I, I mean, guys
0: are about to throw down and you're responsible for them. So that is a huge responsibility. And Kenny Florian has a huge responsibility in his daughter, so he will not be a mixed martial arts referee. But (laughs) for those asking him, sorry, Kenny's not going to go on and become an MMA referee. All right, now with us on the guest line, this guy actually would make a damn good referee for my money. Nine-time UFC veteran, head coach of the Stars at American Top Team. And I would say this, you know, with complete veracity, right? One of the best people that Ken Flo and I have met in our time in mixed martial arts, the great Dean Thomas is with us. My man, DT. How are you this morning?
2: What's up, fellas? And Kenny, if you
1: <laughs> if you feel like you think I'm a good guy, why did you bounce my head off the cage floor <laughs> like you did when we fought?
4: Oh man, I had to. I had to. <laughs> but you got me back. What what people don't know is I brought Dean Thomas out before I fought BJ Penn, and I think he beat me up for a week straight. It was it was. That is it, not oh true. my it, dude, weird. you tattooed me with those boxing gloves. Day in and day out. So thank you for that. You got me back.
1: Hey, so you—I heard you guys talking about refereeing. Now here's an interesting fact for you guys. I actually refereed a couple of fights way, way, way back in the day. I refereed George Rivera versus Brandon Lee Hinkle, and I actually refereed Dan Severn versus Wes Sims. What was that a gym? Was that fights. at a
4: gym somewhere? What, what was that?
1: No, at a this, parking was like, lot? this was like in Ohio or West Virginia or some crazy fight back in back wow. in like early two thousands.
4: But you're not an official that? referee.
1: No, I'm not an official. This was before MMA was sanctioned.
4: Dang, so anybody could just referee.
0: <laughs> How'd you do? I love it, dude. How did it go for Yeah, you? but I'm not... How did it go?
1: It was tough. I'm a, I'm a good referee, you know what I'm saying? I know I know the game, you know. So, like, I know how to stay out of the way, and I know when guys are done. So it was a lot of fun. But I don't know if I'd ever want to do it as a professional. I think... um, And, and I, I commend Frank Trigg for for being a referee and taking his experience into the referee world. But I just wish more fighters would become judges because I think that's where MMA Mm -hmm. is suffering the most.
0: Yeah, and I think Frank does some of that too and oftentimes on the smaller shows you have referees judging fights while they're not refereeing and that becomes a big part of what they do on that night. Um, as far as your fight with Kenny Florian, I wasn't even going to talk about it today but you sort of injected it into the conversation. It was September of 2007. It was a win for Ken Flo by Rear Naked Choke in round one but the fight for you prior to that, May of 2007, you submitted Jeremy Stevens. I know you also had a split decision win over Matt Serra. What was sort of the biggest UFC moment for you inside the octagon? Like, what's the first video you show the kid?
1: The first video I show the kids? Oh, wow. Probably it has to be the Jeremy Stevens thing. Um, yeah. Only because, like, I mean, obviously I won, and, well, you know what it was? It was the Jeremy Stevens dance. After I'd won, that's yeah, kind of what of I course. show him. Like, forget the fight, just the
0: dance. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I show him. Yeah. And when Ken and Flo, Flo shows his... Me. Ken Flo shows his daughter the Dean Thomas fight. <laughs> Kenny, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you better stop, man. You better uh, stop. Uh, I, I do I, not. Because no. we love... Hey, so so the big news this week, Ben Askren, UFC bound. You guys fought on the same card together in Columbia, Missouri in 2009. It was your featherweight debut. Do I have that right? Yeah, it
1: was. Yeah. That was... Uh, pounds. It, yeah, that was 145 pounds. I fought a kid named uh, Dustin Pekin. And... Um, it was in, it, like you said, Columbia, Missouri. It was Tyron Woodley's debut fight. It was Ben Askren's debut fight as professional. And also on the undercard as a amateur was Neil Magny. And I was the main oh, event. Wow. Interesting, right? Interesting How history that? That I have.
0: Yeah. So look at it, Tyron Woodley all the way down that fight card. So, yeah, yeah. So was that your first brush with, with Ben Askren that night? Or no? No, no. I
1: had I had met Ben before. Ben had come to um. You know, I live in Port Saint. Lu- I lived in Port Saint Lucie, Florida. I had a gym there, and Ben had came to Florida like probably two thousand and six or two thousand seven to do wrestling camps, and he stopped by my gym, and me and him became good friends there. So that way back then, so me and him had been friends for a long time, and and I'm just happy that Ben now has the opportunity to showcase his skills in the UFC before it's too late for him because I still think he has a lot of good fight left in him, because the UFC kind of has a tendency to bring guys in when it's too late for him. But I think Ben is probably a smarter fighter now. He may have a little ring rust, but I think he's a I think he's a tremendous asset to the welterweight division in the UFC.
4: You know, Dean, I don't think a lot of people realize um, how good an olympian uh an olympic level wrestler really is in in the training room for example you've seen it firsthand uh and and especially the unique style that askrin brings with that funk style wrestling the way that he counters the way that he grammy rolls all the all the funky stuff that he does out there it's amazing to watch for me um how can you explain it to guys uh just as far as the quality of of wrestler that askrin is
1: yeah, and, like, people don't know. I mean, and I'm watching – it's it's funny because I, I'm kind of comparing it to Conor McGregor. When Conor McGregor first came out, he was talking a lot, and people didn't want to believe him. But they just didn't want to see a guy talk so much and be good. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Ben. Like, he's talking a lot now, and but you can't, you're not going to be able to prepare for how good he really is. It's almost grappling with, like, two different people at the same time. I mean, it's really weird. Like, you just – you can't really – mimic the amount of pressure that he could put on you when he's on top of you you just can't do it and then when you if you get on top of him you just can't stop him from moving there's no way to like stop all his body parts from moving he is a tremendous grappler a tremendous wrestler and one of the best competitors i've ever seen compete
4: now d one thing that people aren't talking about is the fact that Askren has helped Tyron Woodley, right? For prepare for a lot mm-hmm. of matches. Uh they wrestled together at University of Missouri. Was it at the same time?
1: Yeah, they did. Yeah, they were they teammates. Like, Tyron was a little bit older right. than Ben, but um but they wrestled or they weren't they were teammates.
4: Now, they're going to be fighting it looks like in the same division. Could we see a Tyron Woodley versus Ben Askren fight in the future? You know both of these guys. I know both of them, and I can't imagine
1: that Tyron would ever fight Ben. Just because Tyron, uh, like part of the reason why Tyron is champion is because of Ben. Like Tyron gets so much from Ben, like just the energy and just, you know, something that Ben brings to the table. Tyron really feeds off of that. I can't imagine Tyron ever wanting to stand across from him and really fight him. I don't think it'll ever happen.
0: Dean Thomas with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So Amanda Nunez, two months from today, will challenge Chris Cyborg and try to become the first women's simultaneous two-division champion in UFC history. And I got to imagine you're pretty excited with this challenge and this opportunity. But I don't think shock the world is sort of the way to put it. I feel like a lot of sharp minds out there not only are picking Amanda Nunez to win this fight, but but they're putting their money where their mouth is already.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, like it's a tough it's a tough fight for both girls. Um, You know, like if you just like if you're an uneducated fan, you look at Cyborg and say, oh, yeah, she's going to win. You know, she's got the size advantage. She's bigger. But, you know, if if you're educated, you see that Amanda brings a lot to the table. She's a tremendous athlete. She hits hard. She's got a very diverse skill set and she can present a lot of problems to Cyborg. Um, it's a tough fight for both girls. It's one that um, you know I think it's going to come down to who who prepares the best and who's the sharpest on that night. But I think you know, so I, you know they're obviously training really hard for it. But I think it really does come down to preparation.
0: And another guy you're preparing, Pedro Munoz, he fights Brian Caraway November thirtieth. How many UFC fighters are you cornering right now? I mean, how are you sort of holding up? With, with the week-to-week <laughs> you know, it well, It's weird because hey, I kind of had to
1: stop some of the uh, UFC guys so I could kind of focus a little bit more on our up-and-coming guys because, you know, when you know, eventually, you know, these guys, they leave. You know, the UFC guys eventually get cut. We've got to make sure that we have some guys, you know, waiting to get in, so I'm kind of focusing on them right now, but but I still always have my hands full with UFC guys. I, I'm just getting back from uh, from Canada. I didn't see you out there, John. I was in Canada with uh, oh, Yesen Ayari. He obviously didn't um, didn't get the W, but you know, he still, you know, still fought a good fight against Stevie Ray. But, um, I was out there with him. But, you know, after that, I'm going to China with Jessica Aguilar and then just, you know, I'm still working with Greg Hardy. So, you know, it's just, um, you know, got my hands full every day working with these. But I'm organized, though. That thing, I attribute that to my organization. I keep scout reports on all my guys and I, and I, 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 rec- I record everything that they do, so that I'm always De- on top of what they're
4: doing. Dean, what days do you do you take a bubble bath? Just you, just chilling with some Anya playing in the background. When when Enya. Do you... I, some incense. I got
1: Enya playing in the background, incense. candles, I got the <laughs> cow gone, and a, and a rubber ducky in the bathtub on Sundays. <laughs>
0: oh. Alright, all right, you gotta hey, rest. Uh, you, you mentioned the Ayari fight, and I did watch it on UFC Fight Pass against Stevie Ray. I didn't quite realize that you were there so my apologies for that but a lot of people thought maybe he could have gotten the nod how did you feel after those 15 minutes
1: yeah you know I thought he won I, I thought it was close I didn't think he got robbed but I did think yeah. he won but here's what, this is what i was saying about judging I mean we have to do a better job of establishing what the criteria is like and and also at some point we have to make the decision to go you know we need open scoring because you know going into the third round he's thinking he's winning now obviously I thought he could have did more to establish himself as the winner, but just punching more and, you know, countering the kicks a little better, but he's thinking he's winning, but there was no urgency for him because he can't look up at the scoreboard and say, look, I'm losing this fight. I need to do something to win because in his head, he's thinking he's winning. So he just kind of, he's chilling, he's chilling, he's chilling. But I think open scoring solves that problem. If we have open scoring, he can look up at the score and say, look, you're losing this fight. You may think you're winning, but you're losing this fight. You need to step on the gas. But, um, but again, you know, it's just a fight game. I think we just need to do a better job of clarifying what's scoring points and what's not scoring points because it's all, you know, it's all up to the judges. But we don't know what they're thinking during the middle of the fight.
0: Right. No. You and I have talked about open scoring. I'm a proponent of it as well. It's not without its holes, right? There are some issues with it, but I am largely all for open scoring. Our right, final thing before we let you go, personally, professionally. I mean, we just had Ray Long go on, and he was saying he's sort of starting to fatigue a little bit, and you're trying to shift your focus to where you think it needs to be. But relative to, to how you thought this part of your professional life would play out, um, are you happy? I mean, how are you holding up to the to the MMA weekly grind?
1: Oh, man, I love it. I love it. I have a lot of autonomy in what I'm doing. You know, I've I got this unique opportunity to be an a MMA coach at American Top Team, and it gives me a lot of freedom to to work with, you know, the, the people that I want to work with and they give me a lot of freedom to, to, to really kind of sit down and look at the game from a different set of eyes because, you know, when you're fighting, you're looking at the game from your set of eyes and, and what your skill set allows you to be able to do. But for me, I'm looking at it from this broad perspective and I can see everything now. So, like, I'm a much, I'm a much smarter person in terms of MMA now than I was when I was actually fighting. And, um, I don't know. I just, I just love where I'm at as far as the game. I I can't necessarily say that I love the MMA game itself, but the, um, the fighting aspect
0: and the
3: strategy of it, I just, I love that part of it.
0: And I've seen your film and your scouting reports, and I, I put your knowledge and your ability to sort of make that knowledge work for you and your fighters. Uh, I put it up against anybody in the game. Dean Thomas, thank you for the time, my man. Wish you all the best over the next few weeks and, uh, don't be a stranger kid. We'll talk to you soon. All right, fellas. I'll talk to you guys soon, man. Thanks for having me on. See you, Dean. There he is, the legend, it's Dean the Thomas, here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Well, as you've heard me say on the show, Ken Flo, UFC bantamweight champion T.J. Dillashaw, maybe the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Absolutely loves the fight, loves the strategy, and everything that comes with fighting for a living. You know what else he loves, though. Toyo Tires, because like Dillashaw, Toyo Tires are as tough as they come, and they are the official tire of the UFC. You know, there's a lot to love about Toyo Tires. Aggressive design, proven on and off-road capabilities. These truly are tires for any weather, and they've got the toughness to back up that claim and then some. There's just a confidence that comes with tough tires. So no matter what you're driving, no matter where you're driving, you can count on Toyo Tires. Of course, they look great as well. They are the choice of so many fighters on this UFC roster top to bottom. Tough people love tough tires, and Toyo tires have been proven time and time again. So if you're tough, these are the tires for you, Toyo tires. The next time you need tires, ask for Toyo, the official tire of the UFC. Learn more at toyotires.com slash UFC, toyotires.com slash UFC. All right, UFC Moncton is in the books. We turn our attention to the pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden this weekend, UFC 230. Cormier versus Lewis. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the Main Event Challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now.
3: Florian.
4: I finished fight! I'm going to do everything possible to win.
3: The Main Event Challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast.
0: All right, so when we look back at this 2018 Main Event Challenge flow, this UFC Moncton show might just have been the proverbial <laughs> nail in the coffin how about Brian Petrie, podcast listener, showing up large last week? He wins the week 6 3. Underdog winners on Anthony Lionheart Smith and Sean Strickland. So Team Annex lead 13, 122 109. And joining us to make picks today. So this man reps the 209 pretty hard, Ken Flo. He was scheduled today because Nate Diaz, of course, was supposed to make his return mm. this weekend against Dustin Fourier. That is not going to happen, but we are still thrilled to have this guy, Ryan Martinson, repping the 209, is with us today. Ryan, how are you today, man?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks for
0: having me. It's our pleasure, man. That's, I like that picture of you on the dock. So do you think now that some time has passed uh, from 2016 when I got the tattoo, like would I be welcomed in the 209 or should I still like, steer clear?
3: No, you'd absolutely be welcome. You uh, you're a man of your word, and there's a lot of respect respect in that. Although I do typically avoid people with two and nine tattoos; it can be a sign yeah. kind of trouble. But no, you're more yeah. than welcome out here.
0: Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that because I I'm not sure you speak for the majority when you when you open up those arms. <laughs> but I appreciate you saying that. Let's get to the pick. So it's UFC 230 this weekend. Heavyweights in the main event, but largely this is a middleweight pay per view main card. The other four fights you will see all to be contested at 185 pounds. First fight you will see on the main card. I was surprised it wasn't the featured bout, third from the bottom. First fight on pay per view, Israel Adesanya, minus 320. The favorite against Derek Brunson. He comes back at plus 240 for what will be Brunson's 14th UFC appearance. Ryan, what do you think about the pay per view open? Are you going Israel Adesanya or Derek Brunson?
4: I'm
0: favoring
3: Adesanya here. Um, I think Brunson tends to fight a little too aggressive, too emotional. I think he's been taking some of the trash talk that Adesanya has been taking or saying a little too personal. I think he's going to come out fast and try to hurt Israel early, and I think he's going to pay for it. I got Artisanya probably getting the knockout.
0: And you know that's Derek Brunson's style, Ken Flo. Adesanya yeah. 3-0 in the UFC. All of those here in 2018, probably on the short list for fighter of the year with respect to Daniel Cormier and the other guys. Last win for Adesanya, Kenny, five-rounder against Brad Tavares. He's obviously getting the respect from Las Vegas here against Derek Brunson. How do you see this one playing out? And
4: and I also also think that five rounder was huge for his experience and for his confidence moving forward against other potential uh, guys who might want to try to take him down, like a Derek Brunson. Now, Derek Brunson certainly has better takedowns um, than his last opponent. Uh, However, uh, I agree with Ryan. I think that Derek does fight a little bit too emotional, especially at this point in his career. I I think that should not have a place uh, in, in how he approaches a fight, yet he continues to do that. And again, someone like Adesanya, uh, that is absolute death. Uh, This is a guy who can counter you uh, going forward, going backwards. Um, He has a lot of different weapons that he can hurt you with. Um, And I think he's that much more effective against aggressive guys. Guys that are coming forward, um, I think, are going to get hurt way more often against a uh, high-level counter-striker like Adesanya. Um, I think Adesanya takes this as well.
0: And we'll see if Brunson tries to wrestle, but don't sleep on that takedown defense for Adesanya. Certainly he knows what a lot of fighters are going to try to do to him stylistically to try to put him on his back, and we'll see if Brunson goes that path this weekend in what is the biggest fight of the young career for Israel Adesanya. All right, Carl Robertson, minus 290, the favorite against the Welshman, Jack Marshman. He is at plus 225. So, Robertson coming off his first pro loss. That was by submission to Cesar Mutanchi Fajeda, UFC 224, back in May. Marshman up and down in the UFC, two up, two down. Ryan, who do you like in this one, the favorite, Robertson or the underdog, Jack Marshman?
3: So, to be honest, I don't know a ton about these guys. I've been doing a little research. Um, Marshman's got a lot more experience. Robertson, obviously a kickboxer in glory, good striker, but I'm going to go with Marshman here as the underdog. I'm hoping his experience will be able to just let him be the more savvy fighter, maybe get some takedowns and work the grappling. I like Marshman with the uh, plus 225 and uh, the number there.
0: See, we like this guest picker, Ken Flo, Ryan Martinson, right? He's got a dulcet tone to his voice, but he's not out here faking it, right? Like he's seen (laughs) every Jack Marshman fight that ever exists. I haven't called a Jack Marshman fight, so I'm trying to close the gap when it comes to my knowledge of that fighter for this weekend. Uh, Your thoughts on Marshman against the upstart Carl Robertson, Flo?
4: Yeah, this is an interesting fight. Listen, I think the Robertson uh, has a huge advantage uh, on the feet. Uh Marshman, I think, can make things interesting if he's able to take him down. Um, I think Robertson would be in trouble here. Uh, I- I'm going to go the other way, though. I, I think Robertson uh, is able to get it done on the feet.
0: And I will take the under two and a half rounds. Am I allowed to do that? I think you're getting a finish on one side or the other. <laughs> All right, next up, David Branch. As many of you know, was to face Jacques de Souza. Instead, he will be the prohibitive favorite against Jared Cannoneer. Branch, minus 425, Cannoneer, plus 315. He was going to fight later in November in Argentina. Instead, gets pulled from a much lower profile spot, and now he gets thrust onto a big pay-per-view for what will be his UFC middleweight debut. Ryan, what do you think? Branch or the killer gorilla Jared Cannoneer?
3: I got Branch here. Although I am surprised the odds were as long as they were, I thought they'd be a little closer. But I think Branch, being the better wrestler, far better jiu-jitsu guy, I think he's going to take the fight down, control him, beat him up, maybe even get a submission. I don't think Branch will be able to knock him out on the feet. Kenny is such a tough dude, but I just see Branch really working the grappling and dominating this fight. So it's probably a decision win.
0: It'll be interesting to talk to Jared Cannonier later in the week as to what challenges he had in moving up that weight cut a couple weeks given the fact that he hasn't had to weigh 186 in the UFC thus far. Ken Flo, David Branch coming off a knockout of Tiago Santos, April 21st in Atlantic City. He's won two of three now in what is this second UFC stint for him, only lost in that time to Luke Rockhold. So largely he's looked pretty good. The striking is starting to come around for David Branch your expectations for Branch in this spot this weekend?
4: Yeah, he has looked good, and he actually hurt Luke Rockhold in, in that fight. I thought he was going to pull off an upset win. He's one of my former uh, training partners uh, in New York when I was over at Henzo Gracie's. and uh, David Branch, is, he's a hard worker, and I think he really is fighting with a lot of motivation right now. He sees himself as kind of getting into the upper echelon of middleweights, and he really needs this win. Cannoneer is very dangerous, uh, obviously heavy-handed fighter, um, tough uh, knows how to deal with adversity, uh, dangerous in the clinch as well. But I think David Branch takes this one, and I agree with Ryan. I, I think he should largely come behind that that ground attack.
0: All right, co-main event, Chris Weidman goes from slight underdog against Luke Rockhold to now the mon- minus-175 favorite against Jacare Souza. Souza 145. Huge fight here, big stakes at 185 pounds. First fight for Weidman, as we mentioned, since that big submission win over Kelvin Gastelum. That was last July. Jacare's 2018, the knockout of Derek Brunson in a main event in January. Then he was beaten by Kelvin Gastelum. Split decision, UFC 224 in May. Ryan, Weidman, Jacare, and the co-main, who will it be for you?
3: I got Weidman. Um, as far as the striking goes, I think these guys are fairly even. Both have power. Both prefer the throw the hands on the Jacare. obviously got a head kick knockout. I think this fight's going to come down to who can control the clinch and who can get on top when they do hit the mat and i think that's going to be widened with the better wrestling I, I really hope they do grapple because i'm, I'm fascinated by these two matching up as a grappler uh, aspect of it so yeah i got widened probably by
4: decision
0: very close fight though can flow. I'm excited to watch this one. Jacare Souza, Chris Weidman, which way do you think it goes?
4: Yeah, listen, I think that uh, Kelvin Gastelum laid down the blueprint of how to defeat Jacare Souza. You're going to have to uh, use counter wrestling. You have to stop those takedowns. You have to watch out for that overhand, um, you know, maybe a, a few high kicks. But um, Jacare tends to telegraphed a little bit. Uh, Jacare is getting a little bit older I think he's always going to be a threat with his power and of course with his ground game but he's most effective when he gets on top of you Um, his arm triangle is amazing his arm lock is great his kimura uh, has always been a threat since he was competing as a jiu-jitsu practitioner so um, I I think Chris Weidman has a game uh, that can kind of neuter uh, Jacare uh, and I think Chris gets it done by decision here
0: so is neuter for a boy and Spay for a girl, is that is that right? <laughs> sure. Do you know? Sure. Uh, why not? Well, no, uh, I mean, in neuter regards sounds to dogs.
4: In regards to dogs, yes.
0: Because <clears throat> yes. neuter sounds better. I, I just didn't I didn't know which was which. Taking uh, away his game. Yes. <laughs> all right, finally, fellas, the main event, UFC two thirty, the two division champ, Daniel Cormier favored at a minus eight hundred clip against Derek Lewis. The Black Beast plus five twenty five. So what does it mean for our scoring system? A successful pick on the Black Beast, should he win, is six points, as many as eight if you get the method of victory and the round correct. Mm. That being said, Ryan, many believe he will be up against it in what is a short-notice championship opportunity against D.C. Who do you have in the main event?
3: Yeah, I agree he is up against it. I got D.C. Um, Even if both guys are healthy, I think the side is pretty one-sided. DC having a compromised hand, he's really going to rely on that wrestling even more. I think he takes this fight down, wears out Derek Lewis. It's going to look a lot like probably the uh, the Anthony Johnson fight, the Volkanovski fight. is going to dominate on the ground, probably get a late submission. I got second round submission for DC. All
0: right, DC by second round sub. So Ken Flo, Derek Lewis fought. 23 days ago tough fight against alexander volkov rallied for the win late Mm -hmm. that night dc's last fight of course july 7th at ufc 226 i'm interested to see how much dc prepared for the possibility of a short notice fight before he ultimately got the call because you know he's wise enough to know that there was not a headliner at madison square garden i wonder what kind of shape cormier really was in before the three-week crunch uh, how do you see it playing out between Cormier and Lewis on Saturday?
4: Uh, about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, DC okay. with DC was at Fox and he ordered his lunch and he Uh-oh. ordered he ordered a chicken breast. And I was like, what the heck is he getting a chicken breast for? Wow. DC just he fought he never gets a chicken breast unless right. he's fighting. So um I think he had something in the back of his head maybe that he was getting ready for. So I don't know if it's as short notice as everyone thinks. Um, however, uh, you know, for, for Derek Lewis, um, it's not like he's the guy that really pushes the pace on you and gets you exhausted. Uh, but I I think for DC, he needs to get, get in and get out. uh, Derek Lewis is just way too dangerous. Um, the, the guy, it really is a monster. I shook his hand last, last Wednesday. Uh, it's scary. Just shaking that dude's hand. If DC gets hit with one shot, that's all it takes, and it doesn't have to be a perfect shot with Derek Lewis. Right. He hits that hard, so Daniel, yeah, absolutely needs to go in there and take him down right off the bat. Um, uh, you know, I, I will. If, if Daniel Cormier was taking on Godzilla, I would pick DC, of course. Of course, that. so uh, I'm going with Cormier. Uh, let's go with first round submission. How's that? I was going to say <laughs> second round, but Ryan took it, man. Right, and have, he right. brought I mean, it today, hey. dude.
0: Yeah, Ryan Martinson, bringing it from the 209, man. Appreciate you coming on and listening to the show for course. And, and we will certainly have you back if you get the better of the flow this weekend, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Ryan. Of
3: course. Thanks for having me. I just want to give a quick shout-out and a thank you to the Boston Red Sox because the only thing better than watching the Giants win the World Series my San Francisco Giants is watching the Dodgers lose. the
0: <laughs> back. To ah, back. Yes. Congratulations to the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> That's amazing. Love it. Thanks, Ryan. That's Take good stuff. Yeah, those San Francisco Giants fans are celebrating today for That's sure. That's true. And what I I think like most about the Red Sox win is that they got it out of the way, so they gave us a chance to celebrate here on the mm-hmm. Anakin Florian podcast. Because had they wrapped this thing up Tuesday or Wednesday night at Fenway Park, you know, next week we're recapping UFC 230. I'm not sure how much we're talking about the World Series. This and is true. Of course, Dodgers could have come back, but the Red Sox closing the show. And it was absolutely amazing to see that series play out. All right, thank you all for listening. Big week, of course, coming up, UFC 230. And then we are back in about six and a half days to recap it all with you. Until then, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Have a hell of a week, everybody. And if you are in Boston, enjoy the parade. Yo, fucking later.
3: The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast.